Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, joystick wagglers. Before we get into this episode of Under Consultation, we have a very special announcement to make. UCP Live returns on Saturday, January 14th at the bonus stage in Croydon, where we're going to be splitting into two very distinct halves. The first of which will be Ash and I going through our favorite challenges from the first seven seasons and the reboot of Games Master. There'll be clips, there'll be quips, and a little bit of jokes and probably a few gags and stuff. Knob gags. Oh, 100% there'll be knob gags, yeah. And then when we get to the second half, we are going to do something very special and potentially very, very stupid. We're going to take some of those challenges that we've talked about in the first half of the show and we are going to recreate them live on stage and if you're there there will be a chance for you to get up and compete for a very very special trophy so yeah, so we're going to do some live challenges and you can be in attendance for them by getting your tickets to UCP Live 2.0, links for which are in the podcast description. And not only will those tickets get you entry to UCP Live 2.0, but there is a special combo ticket that will get you entry on that day to our friends, The Heart of Gaming, a massive retro arcade full of classic coin-ops and consoles, all free to play. And for those of you who are at UCP Live 1.0, well, uh, you'll certainly know how much fun that is. We basically just played Smash Brothers for ages, then played four-player Simpsons, and it was awesome. We finished it. Tickets start from £15, and numbers are limited, so do not delay. Get your ticket today. Links for which are in the podcast description below. So, without further ado, here is this week's episode of Under Consultation.
Greetings and welcome to our deep sea domain. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and yes, smoking does save marriages. And hoping we make it to the end of this episode, otherwise, I might have to resort to pulling rabbits from Luke's buttocks. I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 30th of January 1997. Destruction Derby 2 still tops the video game chart, as does Evita with the UK box office, but we've got a new number one in the music charts. It's White Towns, Your Woman. I do not remember this song in the slightest. Yeah, me neither. You know, like when you go through that Wikipedia page and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then there's ones like this where you're like, huh? I have no memory of that whatsoever. Although one name I did recognise while looking up the details on this song, the song got a lot of mainstream play thanks to one Mark Radcliffe of Mark and the Boy Lard, who played it, helping Joyati Prakash Mishra, who was White Town's sole member, get a leg up, get much recognition in a very short space of time, because at that time, Radio 1 was essential listening. People could be made or broken by that station. I mean, John Peel for years was the one that helped discover so many bands. It's funny as well, because when I saw it written down, I was like, oh, no memory of that song whatsoever. You go and listen to it on YouTube and within two seconds, you're like, oh, right. Yeah, this song. I know what the song is. I just didn't know who the artist was or what the song was called. And then I was really surprised to see that it was a number one song. I never thought this would be a number one track. I do love that Mishra, while writing about the themes of the song, said that they include being a member of an orthodox Trotskyist Marxist movement, being a straight guy in love with a lesbian, being a gay guy in love with a straight man, being a straight girl in love with a lying two-timing fake-ass Marxist, the hypocrisy that results when love and lust get mixed up with highbrow ideals. I mean, that's a lot of themes to take into one number one song. I was just YouTubing the song again, and the video for it was officially uploaded by Mishra, uh, as you were just talking about there. I'm going to assume that Dua Lipa or Fear Street have featured the song or have sampled this song in some way because the description of it reads, Hello and welcome Dua Lipa fans and Fear Street fans. And then writes, It's not Star Wars. In the 90s, I bought the CD soundtrack for Dennis Potter's Pennies from Heaven, and it was an amazing 1932 song called My Woman by Lou Stone and the Monsieur Band, vocaled by Al Boley. And that song started with a beautiful trumpet hook. My track is the first to sample that catchy hook, and now it's been sampled by Dua Lipa in her new track, Love Again. Ah, that'll be why then. So yeah, there you go. Uh, so Dua Lipa has also taken a little sample, or the same sample. I love the fact that he's had to put as well, it's not Star Wars, because that sounds a little bit like pumping the issues till they bleed. Prisoners are running an international airport. When you're fighting a weasel, he's bigger than a man. I'll give you 30 quid for one Clarky can. What's a Clarky can? What? Homosexuals can't swim. This is cake. (laughs) No. Brass Eye, Wednesday, 9.30 on 4. Well, we've only got one bit of news to talk about in the TV news, but it's a bit of a big in for me anyway. On the 29th of January, Brass Eye debuts on Channel 4. Oh, Brass Eye, there's a TV show. Because I remember the evolution of this, where we actually had the day-to-day on BBC Two, and then Brass Eye was the next step up, where it's like, oh, we've already gone from the kind of edgy BBC Two. Now we're on Channel Four. We're going to let our freak flag fly, and we are going to piss off a lot of people. 
everyone, every single person they possibly could. Like some of the best examples of tricking celebrities into doing, well, silly things. You know, I, Cake is the one that always jumps out to me. If you have Brass Eye, if, you, if you've never seen the show, it was a, a parody of things like Panorama. And they did an episode on drugs. And in that, they talk about this new drug that has hit the streets called Cake. And they get a load of celebrities to come in and talk about the dangers of cake while, and this is a great way to be legally responsible, having all of them say the words, cake is a made up drug. It's made up of lots of different ingredients. So every single celebrity on that show admitted that cake is a made up drug. So could not be angry or sue them because they themselves said on tape, this is a made-up drug. And I'm still amazed that they didn't twig when they had to say things like Shatner's bassoon. You know, this young little girl was so sick, she got sick out of her eyeballs. It's disgusting. <laughs> like, oh, surely, surely something twigged with you, eh? There is a lot of propaganda on drug usage. You know, don't do drugs, kids. But there is a lot of stuff where, you know, you remember the whole public safety films of the 50s, like Reefer Madness and stuff like that. And to be honest, I imagine there's some of them that are going, that sounds a bit extreme. But if it stops the kids doing cake, I'll say it. I mean, I yeah. don't know about you, Luke, but I love cake. <laughs> I'm a big fan of cake, me. And of course, there is the very infamous paedophile special that they did. Good evening. The government has launched an outspoken attack on Channel 4 for broadcasting a spoof investigation into paedophilia. The Home Secretary and the Culture Secretary have both condemned the Brass Eye programme. Another minister described it as unspeakably sick. Channel 4 says the show, some of which is included in our report, was a parody on the way the media have sensationalised the issue. Here's Daniel Bircher. Which caused a lot of controversy, but features some incredible jokes in there. My two favourite being uh, the paedophile that disguises himself as a school. We really must catch that man, he really is a bit. <laughs> and the other one is... Last month, the notorious paedophile Sidney Cook was blasted into space to spend the rest of his life aboard a one-man prison vessel, posing no further threat to children on Earth. But it was revealed that an eight-year-old boy was also placed on board by mistake and is now trapped alone in space with the monster. A spokesman said, this is the one thing we didn't want to happen. It says a lot when so much that Channel 4 put out just flew under the radar. I mean, we've talked about doing an episode, I've got the box set now, Eurotrash. Eurotrash had some amazingly out there stuff. It was all known about, you know, Eurotrash was just like, oh, it's that naughty show on Channel 4. Bit cheeky. A bit cheeky. Never really caused a scandal. Even what Chris Evans was doing, for the most part, with TFI Friday, or with Don't Forget Your Toothbrush, even with, for the most part, the word, there were a few notable exceptions. They mostly just skated under the radar with an occasional bit of won't someone think of the children. Varsai actively offended people. He really did. And like in some cases, you can see why though, because some of those jokes are a bit close to the knuckle. But anyway, it's all available on DVD if you want to go and find that, which I would recommend because I don't think it's on all four. For amazing legal reasons. <laughs> But actually, have we got anything going on in the magazine? We have got a brand new oh, issue. The fight is on Tekken 3, their front and centre. That will feature later on in this very episode. Yeah, and I, I'll be honest, I was thinking, oh, we'll just have a quick comparison of the Tekken 3 stuff. But Tekken 3 is one, two, three, 
four full sides of A4. There's a lot of information. They've got pictures of all the sets, of all the different stages. It's a really, really beautiful, in-depth piece. And to be honest, we'll probably take up way more of this episode than we can possibly afford. But also, that's not the only beat-em-up we're getting revealed in here, because we've got news on Street Fighter 3. And it says, Street Fighter 3, the new generation revealed. Up there, somewhere with the second coming and a new Star Wars film in terms of long-awaited events, Capcom have finally confirmed details of Street Fighter 3, subtitled A New Generation. The coin-op is still 2D, but features eight new characters, slicker animation, and some new fighting features. The next chapter in the Street Fighter story promises to be stupidly quick and fantastically good-looking. There's been a hardware power-up since the last one, and the game will make full use of the new CPS3 storage board. This cunningly uses both CD-ROM and cartridges to give four times more memory to character animation than in Street Fighter Alpha. Fighting-wise, it looks as frighteningly tough as ever. The super combos introduced by the Street Fighter 2 series have gone, with Street Fighter 3 seeing the introduction of new raw scrapping features. Most significant is the Super Arts system, which lets you select a special attack move from a list of three when you pick your character. This is the only gauge-based attack in the game. What you go for will depend on your fighting style and how confident you are that you can actually perform the required combo. Obviously, if you pull it off, the effect of the super art attack on your opponent is likely to be more devastating than a few creases in his judo suit. Nice little shout out to art attack there. Oh, the super art attack. Yeah. Ah, oh, Neil Buchanan is a hidden Street Fighter character. That'd be great. Try it yourself. The article goes on to say Capcom have thankfully included a revamped blocking technique so the fight not will be over in a few seconds. You can defend against an attack and if successful, get a sly digging at part of your opponent's body that's not protected. So all in all, the game looks to be another evolutionary step in the series rather than the revolutionary overhaul that we've all been waiting for of the most successful beat-em-up ever. The release date for the arcade version is still to be confirmed, but hopefully we'll have got used to putting the figure 3 after the word Street Fighter by then. Now come on, that's not that much of a reach. We've already got Street Fighter Alpha, Alpha 2, EX, EX2, EX plus Alpha, all these stuff's going on. Getting 3 after the word, not that difficult. It may be though, because, you know, we've had Street Fighter 2's been, it's been here since, you know, almost the, the genesis of, uh, of Games Master. And it's taken us this long just to get a direct sequel to it. So maybe it has been tricky for Capcom to just put the number three next to Street Fighter. One thing I do love is they do introduce some of the new characters on a sidebar. And there's names here. These will not be one and done because Street Fighter 3, very popular with the diehards, but it didn't capture people immediately as much as Street Fighter 2 did. But there are characters here that have gone on to appear in 4, 5 and beyond. We've got Dudley. The English boxer, who I loved playing as in Street Fighter 4. He was a fun character to be. Ibuki's there. Eleanor's there. All these new characters, they really wanted to be the next iteration, the next Guile, the next Chun-Li. Chun-Li was not in Street Fighter 3, a new generation. Ibuki was that female fighter that was meant to be her counterpart. Well, even like Alex is designed to be the new Ryu. Like they're almost like Ryu and Ken are in the game, but the idea being that no, Alex, Alex is the lead character of this series, so he's our new guy. He's our he's our new Buzz Lightyear here. But I think we I've mentioned this before because we've obviously talked a lot about Street Fighter and Street Fighter Three and Alpha and in the X and this and the other. Three was a game I just did not get into. I went from Street Fighter 2 across to Alpha, and then obviously the Marvel Capcom spin-offs until I went to Street Fighter 4. Three pretty much passed me by. To the point where I've only really played it a handful of times, like on the Dreamcast, Third Strike in particular. Yeah, Street Fighter 3 just completely went past me. I wish I was better at it. I wish I connected more with it. But for me, I'm kind of the same as you. Street Fighter 2 to the Alphas. 
And then Street Fighter 4, something just clicked with Street Fighter 4. I'm hoping the same thing clicks with Street Fighter 6. I've seen some of the beta testing footage. I watched uh, Mustard playing it on stream. It looks fun. Yeah. It looks like the sort of game I really want to like and I really want to get into. And I'm hoping the online play is solid because Street Fighter 4, my favorite memories are Friday nights with a couple of brewskis and Xbox Live. That was some good times. I should really knock on King J's door because I know he's got it. He's only he's upstairs in our office block, so I should really knock around there so I can have a go on it. Welcome to Games Master. Now, what many men don't understand today is there comes a time in every man's life when he must put aside laddie pursuits, settle down, hang up his football boots and find himself a wife. For that reason, I've been saying all week that at the end of the show, I will marry one of the mermaids. Unfortunately, we did that gag last year when I married Wigfield. Sorry, ladies. However, <laughs> we can console ourselves with the fact that later on in the show, two of the country's finest cricketers, Adam Holyoke and Phil Tufnell, will be showing us their googlies, and we'll continue this marital theme with an event we call Till Death Do Us Part. I'm going to make a bit of a confession for this episode. There's a lot of talk about cricket, and I did mean to look up why they were talking about cricket and batting orders and, and this, that, and the other. But I was so bored by it all that I just sort of stopped. Apologies for that. But there's a lot of talk about cricket in this, and I've not really got much of a scooby-doo about what it all means. I know what a crumpet is, but I still don't understand cricket. I do not understand cricket either. I wish I, wish I did. I know so many people that love cricket and that understand all the ins and outs and the googlies and all this, that and the other. I'm just not one of them. No, like there's a, a quite a big Indian population that love wrestling. So by that extension, they also love watching podcasts about wrestling as well. And don't quite understand why we're not into cricket, because they're like, surely you like cricket. Like, we love cricket. Like, why aren't you into cricket? Like, I'm just not. I find it to be quite a dull little sport. And I hated playing it at school as well. I once got hit in the chest really hard by a cricket ball and I had no fun with it whatsoever. It's the same with football to a degree. I, I will like get asked by various people I've worked with that live in all different parts of the world and like, which football team do you support? I support England when we're playing international level. And they're like, no, but which club team? And I'm like, I do not. Yeah. And they're like, why? I don't know. I, I don't see why I have to have a football team. I and mean, we've talked about it in the past. In the previous life, we would have been sworn enemies, Liverpool versus Everton. Exactly. I'm glad we have grown up in that regard because this podcast would be very weird and hostile. It would be worse than Dave standing next to Dominic. If you are here for the cricket chat, you might want to <laughs> skip this episode because neither of us really give two figs about cricket. Yeah, you want to tune into Under Crickle Station. That's the one you're after there. Well done. Thank you very much, mate. Also, poor Dominic's a right bastard to the mermaids here. He promises he's going to marry one of them and then just turns around and be like, nah, we did that gag last series. And the mers cry and throw their flowers away. You've upset the mermaids, Dom. How dare you? You absolute rotter and bounder. But marriage is on the agenda for today as we get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? My event today is on the all-action beat-em-up Die Hard. My two contestants had the formidable task of playing through all 20 levels of this game. As this is such a difficult challenge, I've given them two bites of the cherry. They each have an energy bar at the top of the screen, which decreases as they get hit. When it has decreased twice, 
that would normally be game over. Today, though, I'll award them two further energy bars, which will give them a fighting chance. Okay, Bruce, yippee ki -yay. Oh, this is a quality choice. What a banger of a game to start off and set up an episode-long challenge with. Yeah, this is one of those ones I, I got a modded Xbox many, 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 many moons ago that's got MAME on it, and, you know, it's just got all the arcade classics and all Mega Drive games, all SNES games, this, that, and the other. It's absolutely superb. It's not it's not the best version to, to play it on because you've got to use that Xbox controller. But, you know, at the same time, there's some good to be had with it. And the good to be had with it is playing some of those arcade games. In particular, this was one of the first ones that me and my mates booted up. Die Hard Arcade. Yes, please, mate. The reviews at the time quite correctly sort of compared it to it's Streets of Rage meets Virtua Fighter. It's a side sprawler like Streets of Rage, but you can do combos like you can with Virtua Fighter, just without the floatiness of a Virtua Fighter. So it is right up my alley, this. And the challenge itself is relatively simple but also fairly tough. You've got two players. They've got to tackle the entire game. That's all 20 levels with only one extra continue each. So a total of four lives apiece. There is some wiggle room there. And I, I think sort of, you know, reviews would tell you that even sort of a mild-mannered player or middling player can probably get through it on two credits, which is probably why they, they sort of gave them that, that, that bonus. But it also, like, if you don't know that, it does add like a bit of peril to this. Being like, wow, these two must be really good at this game in order to get through it. And like, these two are very good at the game because they know exactly what they're doing with this game. They know all the combos. They know all the shortcuts. They're really, really smart at this. But Die Hard Arcade itself, a strange game because, yeah, it's a scrolling 3D Streets of Rage final fight type game with more than a hint of uh, a Virtua Fighter. There's a few moves in here that are ripped right from the Virtua Fighter playbook. But it is also a weird licensed game because it's got that Die Hard license from Fox, who've also got Die Hard Trilogy out. It's funny as well because that license is only there in the West as well. Like over in Japan, they didn't. So this game was just not reskinned, but it was just released without any of the Die Hard branding on it. It was just a, a standard brawler and stuff, which you know also applies to its sequel that it gets on the Dreamcast. But this game exists because two things happened independently of each other. They had an excess inventory of STV boards and a die-hard license. And they sort of looked at them and was like, we can just combine these two problems together and we'll just make a die-hard game. Yippee-ki-yay and motherfucker. Yeah, exactly that. Like, got too many of one thing and a property over here we're not doing anything with. So we found our solution to it. Make me a die-hard game. And then it's a damn fine one at that. Other than the name Bruno... And I see why they called him Bruno. Uh -huh. Does kind of look a little bit like John McCain slash Bruce Willis. Kinda, if you squint and like give yourself a concussion. He is wearing a white vest. Like that is the clear indication that that is supposed to be John McClain. This is the arcade version we're playing here. And you can play it in the home. As you mentioned, you had a version you could play under MAME on the Xbox. I've got a version downstairs that I can play on me old Sega Saturn, matey. I've not played that Sega Saturn port, but apparently it's great. It is good. Like a flawless conversion. We've talked about it many times. 3D is not the Sega Saturn strong point, but that is a really, really rock solid conversion. Easily up there with the Virtua Fighters for being good quality 3D 
on the Sega Saturn. This challenge really made me want to pick up a pad and play it again. And so, nuptial niceties are nearing their nadir for Tony and Madeline King. Welcome, Sean, Tony. Welcome, Madeline. Right now, how long have you been married, you two? Five years. Have you argued a lot? Have you ever split up, anything like that? Um, I only had one problem once, haven't we? Yeah. We uh, uh... both trying to give up smoking. Mm -hmm. It lasted three months. We ended up getting so stressed that we split up. And, uh, but you obviously got back together again? Yeah, we yeah. both started smoking and got back together. Yeah. And that was it? And so smoking has been the key to your, your happiness? Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. 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 Next message for all the young people out there. <laughs> just like our players today, Tony and Madeline King, who aren't just married, they're both dressed as John McClane. And I don't know a lot about uh, the production of Series 6 outside of what I've read in the book, but one thing I can tell you is I think it was a bit cold on that set. I deliberately did not write a note about this, but it's like, hmm, Madeline definitely left the bra at home. And you can see Tony is cutting some glass. They are both telling the temperature with their frontage. Also, those vests need a damn good wash. <laughs> I love how they've dirtied up the vest and everything, you know, put some fake blood on it and stuff to make it look like they've just survived Die Hard and now they're coming to Atlantis to play the arcade version of the adventure they've just done. And I love the pre-match banter we've got here because, you know, they say, oh, we've been together five years and the biggest problem they've had was when they both tried to give up smoking. They lasted three months, then they got so stressed they broke up. They started smoking and love plumed again. And there you go. And there's Dominic's big life lesson for you. Smoking saves marriages, kids. Good message for all the youngsters out there. But the best of luck to them as they assume the position by the game. It's a good line. Thank you. And Dom heads up to the com box with the game's animal. And aiding and abetting me gamey-wise is Dave Perry. Dave, is it true that Die Hard films are based on your own life? Well, that's something I've always tried to keep a bit of a secret. You've obviously, obviously been speaking to Bruce. Because you as well have worn the same vest for 10 years. <laughs> that's, that's very true, yes. What about the, uh, the first couple of stages of the game we're going to see, first of all, what tips can you give Tony and Madeline? Well, obviously, when you start off, this is a very, very tough challenge, and we're only going to give them one continue to finish the whole game in. So the main thing they've got to do is keep out of close contact um, combat. If they can pick up weapons and use them, then they should use them, because they want to keep hang on to their energy for the really tough bosses later on. And it's another one of those, <sighs> OK, Dominic, can I talk about the game now? I'm amazed he didn't see it coming. Like, like, literally, it's like, mate, this, this is actually even more obvious than the Sonic one. But he does go on to the game and he says, the main thing you have to do is keep out of close combat, pick up weapons and save energy for the bosses later on. And reiterates, one continue each for a total of four lives, all 20 levels, rescue the president's daughter, and they have the rest of the time remaining on the show, as edited, to do it. And they've got a very smart tactic, have Tony and Madeline, which is that... If you are not needed, stand back. Like if there is just one person on screen, that might take more than a couple of hits. One person goes in, does some hits, then backs away. And the other person steps in and does that, particularly around boss fights. They use it. They use it to a great uh, extent when they get to the final boss. Uh, spoilers, they do get it to the end of the game. But it is a very smart thing. Although it is weird, though, because Tony just does nothing. He's just standing still at the start of this game while Madeline is walking around beating people up. And Tony's just stood there. It looks like he didn't realize the challenge had started. Oh, he definitely didn't because he takes damage. He's just stood there playing with his joystick. He does nothing. Maybe he was adjusting his vest to make his nipples less prominent. <laughs> just checking out his cool tattoo he's got on his arm. They get off the balcony. They get inside. Tony gets a broom. 
Madeline gets a gun. Good job they get that broom as well, because Dom is used to a large pole. Yeah, that's a, that's a very large pole. I think that's the best way to discover it. It's, it's called a broom. I'm, it's very similar a with those. I'm very familiar with large poles, Dave. <laughs> they make it through the first stage. One down, 19 to go. And Dom is going off to deodorise Dave's pit while we go on to the news. Following last week's Virtual Fighter 3 event, we've got an exclusive look at the only serious arcade container in the pipeline. It may look like Tekken 2, it may smell like Tekken 2, but these are in fact world-exclusive pictures of the much-awaited Tekken 3. Still in development and without sound effects, Namco felt hairy enough to invite Games Master to their offices a couple of weeks ago to be the first people outside of Japan to preview one of the games of the year. Set 20 years after Tekken 2, it sees the return of six of the old crew, who now sport a whole new bunch of tricks. Of course, there are new characters, like the beautiful Lin Shaolin and the brutal Ring who turns out to be the son of Nin and Kazuma. Still with me? But those expecting complex split-level fighting environments like Virtua Fighter 3 will be disappointed. It's as flat as three-day-old pop. However, on the core, look at that, and the, ooh, I bet that hurt skills, the designers have come up trumps. Expected in arcades in March or complain to me. I cannot quite believe and or fathom we're at Tekken 3. I know we said this when we reached Tekken 2. It's like, bloody hell, I can't believe Tekken 2 is already here. But I really am stunned to see that Tekken 3 is here. I would have said that's past our timeline. Like We won't find out about that until like late on Series 7 or even after Series 7. Yet here we are. Tekken 3 is here. And there's a lot of it. During the past three years, we have gone from Street Fighter 2 to Tekken 3 on our personal timeline as we've covered Series 1 through Series 6. It is bonkers how quickly technology has leapt along and how quickly the games have come out because we've got like a new Tekken out next year and that is a good old long time from the last one. Whereas here, Namco are pumping them out one a year. Yeah, it's amazing. To, like I just couldn't believe that Tekken 3 was featured in the news because it only seems like... A handful of episodes ago, we had like a preview of Tekken 2. I mean, realistically, it is a longer portion of time than that. I'm honestly gobsmacked how quickly this has been pumped out. Because there again is quite the leap from Tekken 1 to Tekken 2, and then an even bigger leap from Tekken 2 to Tekken 3. We had the same thing with Virtual Fighter. The leap between Virtual Fighter 2 and 3 is incredible to see and that they did that in such a short space of time. We do have these two franchises vying for the 3D beat-em-up crown. You've got Virtua Fighter, which we had an entire bloody episode last week, and now we've got Tekken 3, and they're always one-upping each other because Virtua Fighter came out and it was some very rudimentary polygonal models, no texture, so to speak, was later kind of fixed a bit in Virtua Fighter Remix, but Tekken came out, and Tekken was suddenly like, boom, look at these bad boys and then Virtua Fighter 2 and then Tekken 2 and Virtua Fighter and it's just back and forth and Soul Blade comes in there somewhere as well part of the same canon as Tekken the same technical basis and I know there are fans of both franchises we've spoken infamously how we don't get on with Virtua Fighter and we wish we did but to me I think from a wow factor Tekken always managed to just pip and from an accessibility especially you just you went into a Tekken game and even if you were kind of pants and button mashing, it was quite easy for you to feel like you were doing something impressive or something that looked cool. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that it's 
here, kind of going by Dom's tone a little bit, because he, you know, he says this is the only serious contender to Virtual Fighter 3, is that this one doesn't have the split levels. Like this, like the other two Tekken games, are just flat surfaces. Whereas Virtual Fighter 3, as we talked about last week and we you know, talked about in when it was previewed, it's got up and lower levels. It's got steps and you can rise up and you can go down and stuff. And I think like when you kind of look at what Games Master looks towards in terms of what's the next step of this, no pun intended, I think they were expecting Tekken 3 to also have upper and lower levels. So when it doesn't, Dom has to point out, it's like, it doesn't have lower and upper levels like Virtua Fighter 3, but it does have cool combos and moves. Like maybe like that's the area where it actually succeeds, whereas Virtua Fighter doesn't. I find that to be quite interesting. That's the thing that they're quite focusing on. It's like, whoa, whoa, a flat surface? It's a bit passe now, wouldn't you say? No, I kind of say like 2D fighters. Why don't you just make a 3D one? If you've got a 3D fighter, it's like, why, why don't you have upper and lower levels now? And yet, Virtua Fighter 3 was probably the more controversial game, particularly with its diehard fan base of the Virtua Fighter series, whereas Tekken 3 was seen as kind of the pinnacle of that classic Tekken timeline. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is the game that people talk about. In terms of like Tekken fandom, I think this is the one that a lot of people talk about. That stunning red case on it with the, you know, with the fighter, the logo and everything. My friend Laurie, who I, I work with, I think this is his favorite game of all time. Like he is, he knows this game inside and out. You can watch Laurie play Tekken 3 and be like, yeah, you spent a lot of your childhood playing Tekken 3 because he knows every single thing in that game. And if you handed him a pad now, he could just instantly just muscle memory, just absolutely nail the game. He's amazing at it. I owned this game on Japanese import by the time it came out. It was uh, one of my early doors import games. And so to have it not only on the PlayStation, but running full frame and full speed, and also just that slight kind of like sexiness of it being the Japanese version. Oh, great times, great times. Because it had a very limited Japanese release in arcades at the tail end of 1996, and then got a wider release, including international, in March 1997. So we're only a few months away from it being in the arcade, and then it's a very, very quick trip for it to be on the PlayStation. Absolutely bonkers. Really, really is bonkers. And again, it's an amazing coup for Games Master that Don mentions there. These are exclusive, world-exclusive pictures of Tekken 3, the first people outside of Japan to get this footage. Great, great result for them. Great coup for them. Welcome back. We're in the middle of our Till Death Do Us Part event. Tony and Madeline King trying to get right through Die Hard before the end of the show. There are five levels, four stages in each level. They're at present on uh, level two, stage two. Back with Die Hard, they've already got to level two, stage two, and they're currently getting hosed down by a fire engine. So we've gone from a dirty vest to a wet vest contest. Well, absolutely, yeah. And you'd hope that actually would tidy it up a little bit. But yeah, they're, they're still grubby nonetheless, even though they are taking quite a lot of hits by that hose. And like Dave is talking about how like you don't want to get hit by it because it does a lot of damage. And then they really start having a go at Tony during this segment because Madeline is getting beaten up quite a bit and he's doing very little to help. It doesn't feel promising for them at this point. This, this feels like they're struggling quite a bit at early doors. We don't get to stay with them too long, as contractually, Dominic only has to spend so long of a day being stood next to Dave. And whilst this is meant, I assume as a joke, it doesn't land like one. Well, let's head on over to Games Master to find out what today's celebrity challenge is. It was on my most recent trip to California that I discovered the rather entertaining attraction that formed the basis of today's event. 
a wicked baseball game that challenges contestants to hit the ball out of the park. Two contestants will both face six pitches. The winner will be the one who hits the balls the biggest total distance. To warm them up, the first two balls will be pitched in practice mode. Then they'll face two from a minor league pitcher, and finally, two from a devastating major league fast arm. Bring out the cheerleaders. I'm feeling like a big swinger today. It's a weird visual to try and picture Games Master on holiday. Because that's what he says here. On a recent trip to California, he saw this game. Because he's massive, as we saw in series two. How is he getting about? I'd assume that he just floats around like his own blimp. Like he is his own blimp. You've got the Goodyear blimp, and then you've just got Games Master's head floating around. Possibly frequently mistaken for the Goodyear blimp. Maybe makes a, a, a bit of a side business doing advertising on the back of his head. I sort of did imagine him as like, you know, floating around like a big beholder. And that's what he's going with. But it is a yeah, a weird little visual to imagine. But either way, apparently while he was there, he saw VR Home Run Derby. That's VR because you haven't got the headset on. But you do swing a bat at a screen when the ball comes towards you and it registers your speed and this, that and the other and shows how far your ball has gone. It's the sort of thing that you would expect to see around arcades at this sort of point and, you know, maybe in a bar or something like that if the bat is attached to something so no one can steal it. I mean, you also do get batting ranges now, even in the UK. I mean, they feature a lot in uh, the Yakuza video games and stuff like that, although they are more ball machines firing at you and you swing. But I think some of the kind of bars and batting clubs that you get around the UK for baseball are based more on this technology. I wish I had more to say about this game, but I don't. And part of the problem is, is it definitely appears to be called VR Home Run Derby. And there are games out there available released last year yeah. called VR Home Run Derby. And I tried searching for VR Home Run Derby, V.R. Home Run Derby, VR Home Run Derby 95, 96, 97, all the different years and combos. Couldn't find Jack. And I'm sure someone is going to hear this and immediately go, well, here it is. And if so, I will add something in on a future episode yeah. just to cover it because it irked me. It's been so long since we've had a game we can't find anything on and it really pissed me off. No matter what you typed in, it just came up with MLB Home Run Derby PS4. And I'm like, you know, PSVR. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm after. And you think, oh, okay, well, if I search this, that will long tail it into finding me what I'm after. No, it just comes back with that MLB game that came out last year. So yeah, very frustrating that there's little to say about it from that aspect because I couldn't find head nor tails on it. Regardless of how little info we could find, I do quite like the setup for this challenge. Each player gets six balls, two at the practice mode, two at the minor league pitcher, two at the major league pitcher to just get the total greatest distance possible. It's a fun and different celebrity challenge. And I kind of love how we've got the two extremes of the gaming scale in this one episode. Over here, we have a couple doing a co-op game, trying to get through the entire game in the entire episode. And over here, we have a much more casual game. It's kind of almost more like a golf simulator type thing, but it's still fun. It's a diverse spread of gaming we've got on display. Well, you mentioned the golf simulator. That's what it reminded me of, was that golf simulator challenge we had back in series five. And the gag they got off that is that they didn't get a golfer on to, to play that game. And here we've got the same thing. It's a baseball challenge, but we've not brought in baseball players. We've brought in cricket players to play this game instead. Okay, our guests tonight, like me, are used to bowling a maiden over. Please welcome 
the potential of future English cricket captain plus the bad boy of English cricket, Adam Hollyoak and Phil Tufnell. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks for coming on, Phil. Now, you don't play cricket tonight, you're playing baseball. What do you both think about the uh, American version of our rounders, me and Adam? Oh, well, it's um, that ball game. It can't be too much different to cricket, I suppose. Maybe one or two, one or two. Yeah. Uh, Phil, Phil what, about, what about you? I mean, is it, is it as good as cricket in any way, baseball? Well, yeah, I mean, I watched a little bit of it, you know, on the, on the telly, and it looks a pretty good game, you know. Can you, can you adapt any of your own wonderful batting techniques then to baseball? Well, we'll have to see. I'm looking forward to sort of like giving a few home runs here. Uh -huh. And what is your highest score for England again? Uh, 22. 22. Okay then. <laughs> right. Tuffers is on Games Master. Couldn't quite believe my eyes when he popped up. I mentioned this a few weeks back. My wife was in the room while I was watching this episode and I was like, oh, it's, it's Phil Tufnell. And she was like, wow, really? Phil Tufnell? Is he as surly there as he is on other things? And, you know, next week we've got Paul McKenna. She had another one where she walked in and was like, is that Paul McKenna? She often has like real surprises because I think she just assumes that every celebrity that's on Games Master was a shit celebrity. Statistically, a lot of them were. Yep. And also, Paul McKenna, I think, may actually count as a shit celebrity. <laughs> but we'll get to him. Yeah, and unfortunately, this is where I, I will say that they do a lot of cricket jokes here. And they do a lot of batting orders things. You know, they do the, the standard ones as well about balls and this and the other. They have a good old laugh. I will, I will say that all three of them have a good old laugh at the things that they say. So I'm going to assume that it was a really, really funny joke. Just a little bit on our two guests, I suppose. I mean, this is purely like wiki reading because I'm not a cricket guy. You're not a cricket guy, but due diligence and all that. We've got Adam Hollyoke professional athlete who is the only international cricketer to compete professionally as a mixed martial artist, also as a professional boxer. But he is most well known as a cricketing all-rounder who played for Surrey in England. He was born in Melbourne in 1971, grew up in a mining town. His father, an engineer, played cricket for local sides. Hollyoak showed a preference for Aussie rules football. That explains the transition into an MMA. And it wasn't until he moved to Hong Kong for three years when he started to actually hone his cricketing skills and then again back in Australia when he attended college. He went on to have quite an illustrious cricket career. He was named one of Wisdom's Cricketers of the Year in 2003 and he retired the next year. So he kind of went out on top. Bad boy Phil Tufnell, on the other hand, was known as an international cricketer. He's also currently a television and radio personality. He was no more as a bowler than a batter, playing in 42 test matches and 21-day internationals for the England cricket team. His cheerful personality and behaviour made him a popular sports personality, despite more than a few scandals on his record. But following his retirement from playing cricket in 2002, Tufnell built on his popularity with several television appearances, including They Think It's All Over, which is where I mostly remember him from. Same here. Celebrity Deal or No Deal, A Question of Sport, Strictly and Winning, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here in 2003. Phil Tufnell is a voice I actually hear quite a bit because uh, one of my favourite podcasts is Ellis James and John Robbins, which is on Five Live. So they occasionally have to go across to the cricket and Tuffers is the cricket correspondent or the colour commentator cricket correspondent for, for Five Live for the BBC. So I actually hear Phil quite a bit, particularly a bit during cricket season. And yeah, like I used to see him a lot on They Think It's All Over and, and a question of sport as well and things like that. And my father-in-law thinks he's hilarious, thinks he's a right old character. If you are a TMS fan, then you are a big, big Phil Tufnell fan because he is test match special through and through. 
But back in the studio, Dom has the pressing question for both of them, which is, what do they both think about the American version of Rounders? Adam's just like, well, bat and ball games in it, can't be too much different. The, the pair of them have got just little to say on this. Like, I feel like even Selfers isn't getting involved in the cricket banter that they've got about him being like ninth choice or whatever it is, like starting batsman or, or, or what have you. He just sort of feels like, I mean, he looks like he's quite keen and ready to, to play the game. But like we had with Sanjay from EastEnders a few weeks back, not really that asked to be doing the interview portion. No. When we spoke with Dom, he talked about how one of the things he hates about Series 2 is they spent no time with the interviews. You know, they had Take That on the show, but they spent no time actually interviewing Take That because they've got to get on and play Dino Blaster. And then you've got the consultation zone and reviews and you've got two other challenges to fit in. And he wished he could spend more time chatting with these big name celebrities that are appearing on the show. Oftentimes he's on the money with there because you get some gold like you got with Bear Bambiers. But then there's times like this where you're spending a lot of time interviewing two people that don't want to be interviewed or answer questions. And that just means you've got a different kind of wasting time than the consultation zone might have provided. It's kind of like treading water. When are we getting to the fireworks factory, the fireworks factory being the challenge? Yeah. It's like, Gustav has even says, oh, you know, this looks like a good game. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hitting some home runs. Then they make the cricket jokes. Although at least the last one I get, because it's like, yeah, ball tampering, testicles, get that one. Lowest common denominator stuff, well on board for. High level cricket stuff, whew way over my head you know stump and balls cock and balls i can get that sticky wickets all that kind of stuff if it if it relates to basic bodily functions and euphemisms i can coast through it when it gets to runs and batting orders no not there lost okay uh, we're gonna take a short break now while we make sure none of our balls have been tampered with coming up in the second half we have a phil and adam on the baseball as well as the climax of our special till death do us part die hard challenge we'll be back in a few seconds they're here. They genuinely believe that we're ripping them off. Caesar! We just say yes, and he goes to work a happy man. One disaster to the next, really. Yeah. The builders are coming. First in a new season of Cutting Edge, Monday at 9 on 4. profound. How easily a man can travel directly from the centre of London to the very centre of Paris or Brussels. The raindrop, as you notice, always follows the path of least resistance. Introducing the Star Trek Fact Files, the definitive new magazine series about the Star Trek universe. Detailed files on every character, every alien, every planet. Blueprints of the starships, inside information on all the technology. From phaser to photon, warp speed explained, how the transporter works. With over 3,000 pages, these files become the biggest guide ever to the Star Trek universe. The Star Trek Fact Files at your newsagent now. As the UK's number one, Lunpolly give more discounts on more holidays than any other travel agent. Lunpolly, a better way to get away. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh, hasn't he grown? Bigger than his dad. Not as big as the Halifax vote. No. 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 Okay, I'll follow you then. Hello. Over 8 million members eligible to vote will shortly receive their voting packs. Use your vote and be a part of something big. Throughout January, the Daily Telegraph is offering our readers great travel deals every day. Up to 50% off selected Page and Moy holidays. Over a thousand trips to be won, and 50% off Air UK flights. Follow our travel advice to the letter, and we'll help you escape. Only in Britain's biggest selling quality daily The Daily Telegraph. The A to Z of travel. Excuse me, Sir Brown. Got the present, sir? Of course, Bob. Enough in the whip round then. Seventy-five pounds and fourteen p. Fourteen p? You put that in? I don't suppose you bought it with your uh, with my Barclay card? Oh yes, obviously. Boff. I had a Manila envelope stuffed with cash, and so naturally I used Barclay card. It would have been insured against loss or damage. Boff. This is the wedding of the daughter of the head of MI7. There are four men on the roof, two in the choir, and the vicar has no previous convictions. I think that's ample insurance for a China teapot.
parties in the inner city are the funerals now. His chances don't look great. We get down on our knees and we worship at the shrine of death and blood. Jamaica ER, Monday at 11 on 4. Actually, if I don't mind saying so myself. Thankfully, the balls are clean and in good condition. I love the fact that we come back to here and Dom's like, it's a decent show as far as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been all right so far. I agree, Dom. I agree. This hasn't been a bad episode of Games Master as it goes. No, he seems quite surprised. And I can understand that because there's been some rough patches recently. Tony and Madeline are still playing through Die Hard and we're there with Adam and Phil. Phil is still the bad boy of English cricket and joining Dom is the bad boy of Games Master commentators. It's Rick Henderson who thinks he's just bad. (laughs) Rick has been on fire as of late. Big Rick Henderson fan in Series 6. I think he's my favourite colour commentator of the four. And Rick doesn't think there'll be much to say here. Adam is the new great hope of British cricket and Phil is Phil. Yeah, he is there, yeah. Not a batting progeny. And again, they talk about pants and trousers because it's Games Master. But just remember that interview that Dominic Diamond did where I don't say pants anymore. It's not a joke we make on this show anymore. Yes, it is, mate. (laughs) Virtually every single episode, Dom. But once again, reiterating, the most feet measured after six balls walks away with the joystick. Adam is up for his first two balls and immediately hits a home run. And what a home run it is as well. Just powers it right off into the stands. Absolutely incredible. Like, Dom can't believe it. I know this is like the practice run, so they're supposed to be the easy ones, but Dom's legit like, oh, wow. Oh, God, he hit a home run. And it cuts to toughers, and he's also like, oh, Christmas Day, he also he hit a home run. Oh, I've really got to step myself up here now if I want to win. I mean, Adam, two home runs, gets a total of 957 foot. Cuts to toughers, who's got his head in his hands. Already he's like, well, I'm not winning this then, am I? But he steps up, his first, 527 foot. That's not bad. Yeah. All he needs to do is stay consistent for the second ball. Oh, it's four foot. And that is the story of Tuffer's run on this challenge. He either twats it into the park or whiffs it. He can't do both. It has to be one or the other. So, end of the first two balls for each of them. We've got 531 foot to 957. Time to step up to the minor league. Adam goes first, and his first ball is only 130 foot, not quite so good. But his second one, he hits it so hard it smacks an airplane. 535 <laughs> foot. He murdered someone. It happens a lot more often in test match cricket than they'd like you to believe. They keep it covered up, Luke. That plane had a family. So yeah, he is now on, at this point, 1622. As I wrote in my notes here, well, this feels academic at this point. Oh, but mate, Phil steps up for his first rookie ball and Rick thinks Phil should concede. That's it. What can Phil do here? Concede. Everyone has resigned themselves that Phil Tufnell is not winning this challenge or coming within an arse's roar of winning this challenge. But his first ball, 538 foot, so powerful it causes a spontaneous rainstorm. He takes out the sun. That sun had a family. (laughs) And he does the big Brucey celebration with it as well of like, I got that one, didn't I? So hopefully, Ash, his second one is going to really follow up on that great first hit. Critical fail. One foot. Yeah, I think Adam's won this one because our ending scores there, 1622 for Adam and Tuffers is on 1070. But we're now on the major leagues here and Rick points out 
toughers can still win, so long as Adam either bollockses this or strikes it twice. Because if you strike it, you don't get another shot at it. Those are Tuffus's options here if he wants to win. So when Adam only hits 12 on his first one, there's a real like, oh, we might have a game on our hands here. And then we really do when Adam also biffs the second one and only gets 15. There's like legit oohs, like from the production crew and Dom and, and Rick on commentary, where suddenly, out of nowhere, against all odds, Phil Tufnell's got a chance of winning the golden joystick here. He can still do this, except if he swings and he misses. And unfortunately, he swings and he misses. But then, second ball, it's a homer. It flies into the sky. Fireworks go off. It's 533 foot, but it's not enough. Meaning that Adam wins by just 46 feet. It went from being a demolition to kind of, you know, squeaky brown trousers time. It it got really close at the end there. Really close. If he'd have just bunted that first ball, if he hadn't missed it completely, he'd have walked this one home. Rick explains that the maximum length you can get on this is 600 feet if you get a home run. So like some of them are like 530, 555, whatever, but the maximum you can get is 600. If he can hit a home run and it's 600, he will win here. Unfortunately, he just gets to like a decent home run, so it's 530. But you're right, like if he hadn't have whiffed his two bowls on the, the, the practice one and in the, the minor leagues, he would have won this challenge. And that's quite amazing, really, when you consider like how in my notes, I'd completely written him off because I'm like, there's no way he's winning this challenge now. But it created a great little narrative throughout the challenge. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I did as well. This this challenge was far more enjoying than it would have seemed on paper. 100%, yeah. Okay, gentlemen, uh, let's go to you first, Adam. Only 46 foot in it at the end. When you were sitting down there watching Phil prepare to take his last swing, were you nervous at all? Um, I was, actually. I know his capabilities as a baseballer, and I was worried all the way. Oh, uh-huh. Better bet on his capabilities as a cricket batsman. If it was cricket, I wouldn't have been worried at all. <laughs> now, uh, Phil, do you think you deserve a, a, maybe a move up the batting order now because of that? Well, I think I like the, uh, the batting to the, uh, to the batsman of the team, I think. <laughs> That's uh, probably a wise thing upon reflection. Phil throws down his bat in disgust, and in the post-match, Adam says, I was nervous. He knows Phil's talents as a, ba- as a baseballer. If it was cricket, he wouldn't have been worried at all. Poor Phil. He's not good at batting. That is that as much as I do understand. And Phil thinks he'll leave the batting to the batsman. Adam gets his joystick. And then Dom and the boys go off to compare boxes, leaving Mr. Perry to provide an update on the Die Hard Challenge. So we are kind of in a bit of a sticky situation for, for these two here because Madeline has lost one of her lives. She lost that on stage four of level two. And on stage three of level three, Tony has taken quite a bit of damage when battling up against the Sentinel robots. And Dave even says there that, like, I thought that would be their undoing because that's a really, really tough boss to get through. So, yeah, we are getting into the final stage of this now, but it is not looking good. As he said, they're looking dodgy, but they are still alive. And Dom decides to really help this by going over and talking to them whilst they are trying to play the game. And that is why he gets bugger all from them. Okay, just to be checked to see how you are doing. Uh, Tony, how is your state of Mary Bliss holding up to the rigours of the game? Fine. I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm not totally convinced uh, by that <laughs> one. Um, Madden, you've been standing in close proximity to uh, a slightly sweaty Tony for a while now. Is this causing a problem at all? 
Um, no, I'm sure I'll get there in the end. She loves him, sweat and all. I don't think you can see it. What nice tattoos actually that, uh, that Tony's got there. Actually, worth pointing out, kids, if you do want to get tattoos, very, very good thing. Parents love it. Because Tony's just like, yeah, it's fine. He asks Madeline the same question and gets a similar non-committal answer because they're trying to play a really quite tough arcade game in really quite tough situations. And Dom's like, well, I'll stop distracting you like a proper dickhead and return to the commentary with Dave. And I wrote in my notes here, he gets two answers befitting of people concentrating on a video game. It really is like a, yeah, fine, whatever, Dom. Oh, okay, well, I'll ask Madeline a question. Yeah, fine, whatever, Dom. All right, well, he's got a shit tattoo. I'm off to speak with Dave. Tony's clothes are disappearing, Madeline's clothes are not, but now we need to go to reviews and hope they're going to survive to the end of the episode, or Dom is going to have to extract rabbits from Dave. Yeah, we do get to see them do level four, stage four, which is a fun little bonus thing where you are climbing up ladders, but you've got to jump across between the two ladders so you don't get hit by falling debris. It's like a fun little quick time event thing, really, when you think about it. But along the way, you can also collect health power-ups, which they're mm. going to need in order to get through the final stage. So I'm, I'm glad that we got to see some of that because it kind of sets them up then for the final stage of this game once we're out of the reviews. First up on the PC Skynet, uh, walk around and shoot lots of people wearing Terminator-style pants. Skynet is a very good game indeed. You basically take the Star Wars influences out of Dark Forces, insert some Terminators, and you've got Skynet. That is basically it. Because the missions are very similar. They're huge, and they're very, very complicated. You've got lots of puzzle structure. You've got everything you wanted to do. In one-player mode, Skynet gets pretty tough later on, meaning it's going to last quite a while. And the new multiplayer mode means it's going to last even longer. It's not the best Doom game available, it's Doom, Quake, Duke Nukem, but it's, it's still very good fun. I've got to be honest with you, this first entry we've got here in the reviews of Terminator Skynet, I did not know that this was a game, I did not know this game existed, and I'm annoyed that I did not know this game existed because I fucking love the Terminator. And I would have loved a Doom-style Dark Forces FPS that's based in the... Because this is what this is. This is Dark Forces, but with the Terminator license. I'd have loved this game. And it's only 20 quid. I'd have lapped this up. The reason it's only 20 quid is this is actually an expansion, or was an expansion, for the previous Terminator first-person shooter Dark Forces-type game, Terminator Future Shock. It was going to be a kind of a build-up bonus disc but for reasons, probably to do with money, they decided let's just wrap it up and release it at a steal of a price. Because you're right, 20 quid is pretty damn good. And it's a relatively early Bethesda game. Yeah, that makes me want to play it like even more. I wonder how it holds up. Like it gets a pretty good review here, you know, 83%. They talk about how like it's single player gets harder the more you play, which means it'll last you a while. Plus, unlike Future Shock, this one's got a multiplayer, so it's got extra added bonuses to it. It is not the best Doom game available, but it is good fun. I wonder how much it holds up. I'd be very curious to find out. I mean, Dark Forces holds up very well, so I would hope this would do the same. Speaking of Dark Forces... Next up, Dark Forces on the PlayStation. Uh, walk around shooting lots of people wearing Star Wars flavoured pants. We've seen Doom, we've seen Final Doom. Now, Dark Forces is a lot more complicated than those. It's puzzle-based and mission-based, and the missions are huge. You know, the, each level takes you hours and hours and hours to complete, and you really, really will be perplexed by it. But it is fantastic. The one thing on the PlayStation version that's not quite as good as the PC is that the graphics are a little bit fuzzy and jerky, so you can't see what's going on all the time. But it's still excellent fun. Yeah, it's a game that we've had in our timeline quite a bit, in fact, going back as far as Series 4, but here it is on the PlayStation. Rick, 
Again, though, using those D words, comparing it to Doom and Final Doom, which has been hanging over this game since Series 4. Like, do you remember, like, they had that feature where they go to LucasArts and Dom D was like, I don't want to mention the D word, but... Dick. <laughs> Sorry, oh, yes. Doom. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they were doing everything that they could. They kept making the argument. We are better than Doom. We've built our own engine. Stop comparing, just because we're first, but stop comparing us to Doom. And yet here we are, it's 1997, and Rick Henderson is still comparing this game to Doom. I am now trying to remember, because I think when we talked about this before, I talked about playing Dark Forces, and I was very, very confident I'd played it on the PC. But now I'm looking at it and I'm going, did I actually play the PS1 version? I can't remember. I think if I had have played it, I can't remember, but if I had played it, it would have been the PlayStation port rather than the PC one. I just don't think I would have had a PC that was good enough to run it. That's my thought. Or I would have just had an easier time playing the PlayStation version because the PlayStation was attached to a portable television in my room. The PC was downstairs and also used for accounts. I know I played the demo of Dark Forces on the PC, definitely, because I remember it was mounted on like PC format or PC game or something. But yeah, I may have actually played the full game on the PlayStation. Hmm. 85% it gets here. Another very good score. Finally, Contra on the PlayStation. Uh, walk around shooting lots of people, wearing no pants. For a start, there are too many enemies on screen at times and you just can't see what's going on and you get hit by random bullets. The other problem is, is it has a two-player mode, which is fantastic at times. But if both of you die simultaneously, you'll, be, you'll continue to shunt you back to the beginning of the level. And that's really, really annoying. But it does have a bonus, and that is the 3D glasses mode. Okay, the graphics are in 3D, but when you put your 3D glasses on, you put it in 3D glasses mode, it all gets very dark and dingy and you can't see where the hell you're going. Lovely. PlayStation Contra's still got the enormous bosses, big 3D models, very, very impressive. And overall, the game is still very tough, so it's going to last you a while. It's just that overall, it doesn't quite work as well in 3D with the complete eight-way fire as it did side on, unfortunately. This last review here, I find to be the most fascinating of the three, because this is... I mean, again, I'm going to put over Mario 64. Mario 64 understood the assignment. You cannot just put this 2D game into a 3D environment and expect the same results. But games like Sonic and here Contra were just like, ah, no, we'll just do the same thing you did 2D, but now it's in 3D. And it's Contra games have really struggled in the third dimension to the point where I don't think we've ever had a good 3D Contra game. And actually, what's a fun fact is that this is technically Bucky O'Hare's the first Contra game in the UK, because it doesn't have the Probotector name instead. Yeah, because of course Probotector was the way of getting around the fact that basically you were mass murderers in the Contra games. It was They were super violent, super, super violent, even if you were killing aliens for the most part. But Luke, this isn't just a 3D game. This is a 3D game. Yeah, this is a 3D 3D game in that you get given 3D glasses to really enhance those 3D graphics. So it's 33DD or 6D? Uh, yeah, I'd have said it's 6DD. Impressive. Apparently it isn't. Apparently it's actually quite shite. Because when this was shown at E3 in 96 with the glasses, journalists were not impressed. I mean, even here they say that you put on the included 3D glasses, you turn on 3D glasses mode, and then, Luke, you can't see shit. Ed has the line at the end, he's like, you know, it's got enormous bosses, it's tough, it just doesn't work in 3D. And... 
doesn't work in 3D can become a real staple of 2D franchises trying to make the jump to the 32-bit machines. Bubsy the Bobcat doesn't work in 3D. Earthworm Jim doesn't work in 3D. There's loads of these games that try to make the jump and none of them do it well. Mario 64 understood the assignment. Although you mentioned Bubsy, I would argue Bubsy didn't work in 2D either. (laughs) Some people like the first Bubsy game and even the second one. Everyone's entitled to their opinion even if it may make them masochists. Okay, Tony and Madeline King then at the final stages of Die Hard. They've been playing since the start of the show. Now they're coming up to the final boss. Now, Dave, what are some of the tactics they should be using with the big bad guy? We come back to the final moments of our Die Hard arcade challenge. And you know this is the final moments because they're on the final boss. And credit where credit is due, these have got a good tactic here. Tony goes in, he throws some punches, he walks away. Madeline comes in. She throws some punches and some kicks and does some moves. She walks away. Tony walks in. A great way to conserve your energy, not just bull rush into this. Although Madeline does make a weird, weird tactical decision to use her kind of the special move you get when you hold down two buttons at the same time. And it's like, we'll give you a super move, but we're going to chip down your health some because she goes in there and she spams that spinning kick and you can literally see her health meter going boop, 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 boop. It's like she knows that she can do enough damage to kill the boss because when they get into the the surprise extra portion of this, your health bars are replenished. So maybe she just thought, like, I'm just going to use all of the health I possibly can do and just spam this move. But you're right, like, it is a... It's a bold tactic to try. And Derek on commentary points out that the swinging move that's being used is definitely a reference or indeed stolen animation from Virtua Fighter because Sega Games in it though. Yeah, they both do that big swing move and then they finish him off. So actually, I think it's joysticks all round, isn't it? But wait, Luke, it's not over. You know that little brat that they're meant to be rescuing? Like Highlander, there can only be one and so Tony and Madeline have to fight it out for the role of presidential progeny protector. So this plot line is that the president's daughter has just said, I'm sorry, only one of you can save me. You must now fight to the death to determine who is going to be the one that takes me back to my dad, the president. Of the world. Or America, depending on your perspective. At this point, I would be very inclined to turn to the president's daughter and go, rescue yourself. Yeah, totally. I'm going to a bar and to find a clean vest. Outlandish that this kid has just requested this, but it now means that this arcade brawler has turned into a one-on-one fighter. We haven't had a a challenge like this or a fight like this since, I mean, I was thinking back to series two when we had the Streets of Rage 2 one-on-one fighting styles where you were looking to go and pick up weapons and stuff. Because what happens here is that they're both just trying to go for the weapon, the rod, and one of them will try and pick it up, the other one will knock them down. So they try and pick it up, and then the first person knocks them down, and they try to pick it up, and then the other person knocks them down, and they try to pick it up. We get a lot of that for a little while. Tony eventually gets the upper hand. Madeline, despite a last-minute comeback, takes the fall. Tony wins, and we are so close to out of time that one of the most terrifying things I think I've seen on Games Master then happens, which is someone throws a joystick to Dominic, and Dominic throws the joystick to Tony, and boom, done, over. Next week is Paul McKenna. It's a bit like the Virtual Cop Challenge in Series 5 of just, good job, mate. But here, they actually do throw a joystick towards him and be like, Tony, cash! I want to believe there's maybe an outtake somewhere where 
one of them drops it. Because the thing is, you could never do that with the older joysticks because the case would come flying off. But this just being basically a joystick dildo, you can lob that around. You could use that as a murder weapon in Cluedo. So that is it for episode 14 of Series 6. Crikey, we are very close to the end of Series 6 now, which feels very, very surreal, very, very weird. Uh, but Ash, before we get to that, what did you make of episode 14? I thought low-key that this was quite an important episode because, one, we get another all-episode single-game challenge that just runs all the way through, and the fact that it's a husband-wife team and they're wearing vests, and it's a long-play arcade game and quite a tough challenge. That's a great underlying structure for the entire episode. Then we get to the news. Last week, we had all the Virtua Fighter 3 nonsense, but this week, Luke, the other big bad boy of the 3D fighter, it's Tekken 3. How exciting is that to have Tekken 3? And we talked about it before. How have we seen Virtua Fighter 1, 2, and 3, and now Tekken 1, 2, and 3 in such a short space of time. It's bananas is what it is. And whilst it's not the most technically challenging game, I really enjoyed VR Home Run Derby because there was some genuine tension to it. There was a moment when you think, oh, might get a bit of a comeback. But no, it was just a fun, goofy, gimmicky challenge it had all the benefits of the golf challenges without dragging on quite as long. I love it as a celebrity challenge because it took me by surprise. It's two lads that felt like they didn't particularly want to be there, but then they really got into it. And remarkably, considering that it felt so one-sided, craft an awesome narrative and really comes down to that final one swing. It's actually really quite impressive. So yeah, like you, like I think this is low-key a great episode of Games Master because there's not a wasted moment in it. The Die Hard Arcade Challenge is really fun. I think the Celebrity Challenge, it tells a great story. A really important news item in Tekken 3, reviews that feature two big licenses in Terminator and Star Wars, and then Contra being bad in 3D. That is a four-segment thing. That's a tight-run episode. And whilst it does get very, very tight at the end, it doesn't feel rushed. About the only bit that feels rushed is the throw me the joystick, I'll throw Tony the joystick, good job mate, don't drop it. And away we go. A perfectly pitched episode. On paper, it doesn't look like it would be exceptional. Like obviously the Tekken 3 thing is quite a big thing. It's like, oh, Die Hard Arcade, okay, cool. But as it plays out and as it's paced, it's just a joy to watch. What I find most remarkable about episode 14 is that everything is running on all cylinders here. Two great challenges, a really important news feature and a good review section. And yet I still don't think it's like one of the best episodes of the series. But I think that just shows what a high benchmark series six has set in terms of great episodes of this show. I think it is a brilliant episode. It's not one I'll be rushing back to rewatch, if that makes sense. It's one that I will probably recommend people watch more than I will rewatch. Yeah. You've got to see this episode. And then I'll list, why is it so exciting? It's like, just imagine we've got from Tekken to Tekken 3 in this space of time. We've got this episode-long challenge on Die Hard Arcade, which is actually a really tough challenge. I would encourage people to watch it. But you're right, I'm not going to rush and rewatch this. I mean, if nothing else, I've got more show notes to make. I've got to watch episodes I haven't finished watching yet. So it comes to the scoring, and I don't quite know where I sit because I feel like it has to be within the 90s because it's such a good episode. And yet part of me feels like it's not in the 90s. 
but then am I just judging it harshly? I, do you know what? I'm sticking at 90%. I'm giving this a flat 90. See, I was about to say, well, I've solved that conundrum. I'm just going to stay at 90. So I'm like you. We're, hey, we're in sync again, Luke. It's nice to be there again. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Be getting those emails in because we will be looking. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For your feedback to Series 6, where we get to the wrap-up episodes. And if you want to give us feedback on this episode, if you want to chat with us about the past couple of weeks... Or chat with other listeners for under consultation, other fans of retro gaming, retro pop culture, all that jazz. You could do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found in the show notes. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, this show format, but about other TV shows from the 80s, 90s and 2000s, and our monthly community show Under Console Nation. At the £5 level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad-free Nash, they give my skit a little bit extra if they back them at the £10 level. Oh, at the £10 level, they get our golden glittery joystick waggler mug, which is stuffed with sweeties, stickers, badges, retro trading cards, which we wrap up nice and tight in a box, break into your house in the middle of the night and hide under your pillow. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Tom, The Amazing Cliff, Super Sexy, David Fisher, Simon, Sean, Richard, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty Boo, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Ian Williams, Ian Roberts, I Am Cheadle, Harriet Mankgirl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brantz, David Palmer, Darkside73, Chrissy Two Sticks, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andy, Andrew, and Adam. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for episode 15 of Series 6. Take care, everyone. Good night.